I felt my, myself struggling more and more and more to, to get everything done. Mm. There should have been a sign, but you just don't realize that there is a point that you just can't keep pushing. Yeah. And so the very darkest moment of my life actually occurred. And it was in that season that I ended up having a total and full physical and emotional breakdown. This is the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss and eternity. Thanks for listening into the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. This is episode 42 and today we're getting to hear from the beautiful Pastor Debbie Hill. But before we get into Debbie's story, just a reminder that you can follow, favorite, rate, review and share the podcast through the Apple podcast platform and also through SoundCloud. I would love it if you do that because it'd be awesome to get the word out there. It was a few months ago now that I had the pleasure of talking with Pastor Debbie when she was in Sydney. Debbie's based in Logan, Queensland, where she and her husband run a church and also an incredibly successful charity. Debbie has had an incredible personal journey so far, including an encounter with mental illness that changed her life profoundly. She speaks about the expectations, disappointments and triumphs of life in ministry and so much more. So let's get straight into this conversation with Debbie Hill. So, well, I was born on the very southern coast of New Zealand. It was kind of the last stop before Antarctica. And I have just beautiful memories of the little lambs running in the paddock with the daffodils. And it was a farming community and my parents were pastors before I was born. And so just have grown up in the, in the church all of my life. And then when I was 10 years old, we moved to Nelson, the top of the South Island of New Zealand, and were there for... Um, Another six years, two days after my 16th birthday, we moved to Brisbane, actually, to to be part of a church that was experiencing an amazing move of God right back in 1979. And was that a hard age to be moving at? It actually was a really, really difficult Mm. age, yeah. uh, There was a lot of tears and emotion Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, my parents were worried we wouldn't actually get on the plane, but we oh, did. Oh, wow. <laughs> we did. And so growing up in a, you know, a religious and spiritual environment, do you have any early memories of God or, or of religion or spirituality that really stand out for you? Um, I just knew from a small child the reality of God. I just, mm-hmm. I sensed his presence and I knew and I guess from a small child always wanted to live my life, to bring honor to him. And and so when you had to make that hard move at 16, did that affect your faith at all? Was, how did that go um, for you? No, it didn't really affect my faith. I mean, we, we moved to Brisbane and were, and like we said, it was, it was a part of a move of God that was just absolutely amazing that was happening back in those days. And, um, you know, I think 40 people were giving their lives to the Lord every week and there were signs of wonders and miracles. And, you know, it was a big, vibrant youth group, you know, probably two or 300 young people. And it was exciting. And, you know, we were, we were out on the streets witnessing every week. And I think every night of the week we were at church and, so I think we had nine meetings a week. We were just excited about God and just and gave those years to fully serving Him. And yeah, it was it was very exciting actually. I just yeah. yeah, it was just so exciting to see the reality of who God was. And was that something you were familiar with back in New Zealand? The the level of the miraculous in Australia was something that was far greater than than what we'd experienced in New Zealand and our church in New Zealand was a lot smaller. So yeah, it was just definitely a very exciting season. I was a musician, so got involved in the worship team there and and started on staff with that church. Back in the day, it was called Christian Outreach Centre. I was on staff there. I was the receptionist and involved in their follow-up program when I was 16. And then um, yeah, in, involved in the worship music there as well. Was music a part of your childhood then? I think I did my first church service. It was combined church service in New Zealand and the musician didn't turn up and my dad said, oh, Debbie will do it. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, so I was like nine years old at the time and, wow. and did that and then became the, the main musician from when I was 11. So it's definitely been 
a big part of my work, of my life and serving God, yeah. And as a child and teenager, did you know what you wanted to be? Was it always in Christian ministry or? Yeah, I just think from the smallest little girl, I wanted to be a mum, actually. Oh, really? I really, really wanted to be a mother. And, mm-hmm. And it was something I dreamed of. I dreamed of having two little girls and was going to be the dancing mother and oh. all of that, you know. And, um, you know, and certainly I wanted to follow God with all of my heart. Yeah. Was there like a moment that, um, I mean, for Christians, often there's like a moment or a season where they really choose Jesus for themselves. Is there something that stands out for you like that or was it more of a progression? I, I feel like I just always had that reality, you know, like mm-hmm. from a child of three or four, I just felt that I always had that reality. So it was, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just always something that I expected to do and, and wanted to do. And so you came to Australia at 16. You obviously finished up school. You're very immersed in, in church life. Mm-hmm. How, how did day-to-day look? You talk about the miraculous there. Like, what, what did day-to-day look like in that world for you? Um, well, obviously, I worked and, um, you know, we'd have people calling in. I, I, I think we had, um, I think there were 14 lines on my switchboard. and At the church. 14 incoming lines. Yeah, and I think I had, like, 40 extensions. So there was the phone was just going all the time and you'd be involved in counselling because people just ring up and start telling their stories and, and you'd do what you could to try and assist. And, yeah, so it, it was, you know, they were actually very, very exciting days. We worked incredibly hard, but you never regretted a moment of it because it was just so exciting, actually. Mm. Really, really exciting. And were you still in school at that point? Um, when we moved to Australia, obviously the schooling systems were very different. And so I left New Zealand halfway through the fifth form um, and it's a whole different system, so I didn't end up going back, and so um, my education pretty much finished there. And uh, so yeah, I had a full time job, and it was in the office. And and then my dad actually was the principal of the Bible College. So then I moved from that role into being his secretary and PA. So yeah, so that was cool as well. And did you meet your husband around this yeah, time? Yeah, we actually met in the church, and we had a TV show and those days it was called a new way of living and living and my husband was a cameraman for the tv show and a bass guitarist as well so oh wow yeah this is very musical media family yeah and i think we went out for like six months Mm -hmm. before um we actually officially went on a date because we're just (laughs) at church (laughs) every day of the week pretty Mm -hmm. much Yeah. yeah and when did you decide to get married um, I was very young. Mm-hmm. I was like 18 and a half, I think, when we got engaged and got married on my 19th birthday, actually. Wow. And, and uh, Ron was 21. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. And you continue to be in ministry? Well, actually, in it was about three years later that my parents actually went to Canada in the United States and Ron and I got married and... Um, we decided to travel with them, which was pretty fun. So yeah, so we went and lived in Canada. We were in Calgary, Canada for nine months. And then we traveled around, gosh, I think it was something like 32 of the states. My dad was preaching. So we all just traveled my whole, all my siblings and my family. So it was like eight of us or seven of us or something like that growing up in a giant motor home. And we just traveled all over America and we had six months in Kentucky we were based in a church in Kentucky which was fabulous and our eldest son was born there across the river in Indiana so wow yeah was there any kind of like culture shock going to the U.S. not really not really um the accent in Kentucky clearly Mm. was like pretty crazy (laughs) yeah they had a very strong accent Mm. but I think wherever you go in the world if you just settle in it becomes home yeah I think you know I think wherever Mm -hmm. you are if you're loving and you're working with the people of God, it's it just becomes home. Mm. And so you had your first son and you had mentioned earlier you dreamed of being a mum to girls. Yeah, I was yeah. going to be the dancing mum with the sequined outfits and I was going to sew and make all of that, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Did it happen quite like that, huh? No, not quite, not so quite. So five boys, is that Five right? boys. We went on to have five sons. We moved back to Australia in um 85 and had Mm -hmm. our um our son was nine months old and 
Yeah, we, we ended up in Logan, the city that we're still in, in 1986, and then um, went, had to, went on to have boy two, and boy three, and boy four, and I was like, oh my gosh, there has to be one more chance, you know, and, and went for it and had boy number five. Mm. Yeah, it didn't put me in a great mental position, actually, because I kept thinking, you know, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he gives you the desires of your heart. And yeah. It wasn't kind of making sense. And I realized mm. that the devil actually took those words and began to use it against me. He took the word of God and be, began to use it against me. And I look back now because I didn't actually have the idea that God was a loving father. Mm. It was like I was kind of always trying to please him and make him happy but I didn't realize that he actually really really was crazy in love with me and so those words the devil took the word of God actually and used it against me and I keep mm. thinking oh I'm not pleasing God I'm not good enough he doesn't love me he doesn't love me and I got to the place where I fully believed that God didn't love me which is crazy mm. but I got there. That's so interesting because you grew up with that strong foundation, but then I guess life throws things at you. That you don't expect. Yeah. Yeah. And life's tougher, Mm. you know, than what we think when we're 18. Sometimes life turns out a lot tougher and a lot harder than what we actually think it's going to be. Yeah. And was there like a a trigger point that you kind of came to terms with the fact that God did love you and really just enjoyed what you had? Yeah, yeah. we had a we had a lot going on, but yeah, I did get to that I did get to that place, and I felt it was actually it was a journey. It was a journey of over like six or seven months where I felt actually I got a word that someone felt God was speaking to me that mm. that God did love me, mm. and that I that I was a, a beautiful rose, and it wasn't any just rose, but it was a pink rose, and there was something feminine about that. Mm. I remember thinking five boys i have to live with six males for the rest of my life i might as well grow hairy legs and you know just and become a football player or you know (laughs) know, that's what i was thinking because if you can't beat them you might as well join them you know and Mm. and so there was just there was something but you know i had an encounter with god where he spoke to me and he said debbie you don't need a princess because you are one wow and and it was just like the beauty of god just began to heal my heart and and I begin to realize it was actually okay to love fairy lights and frills and all the pretty stuff even mm. though I didn't actually get to experience it in mm. my everyday life too often I kind of went crazy at Christmas with all the bows and the ribbons and the fairy lights and mm. all of that all of that beautiful soft creativeness you know that's to so make good. up for it <laughs> yeah. we do a lot of events these days and yeah and I think God put that in me, like just to everything to be so beautiful and yeah. gorgeous because out of that, what felt like ugliness, you know, like you can bring beauty in the world. Mm. So I love to do things beautifully. And you also made the decision to homeschool the boys, is that yeah. right? Yeah, well, you know, it was absolutely devastating news. By the time our second son was in year four, um, that. We'd, I'd done everything. I'd done ADD, ADD medication. We'd done behavioral management. We'd, we'd done, I'd done all the reading programs, done so many different things. And, um, and I remember one day the head of the Logan East, so like the head of all of the schools in the area, called us in for a board meeting. And I'm like, Ron, they found something that's going to work. It's so exciting, you know. And I was so excited and so full of hope to sit down and hear what they'd found was going to work for our son. And, you know, like I actually began to think, you know, it's my fault. It's my fault. My first child had done all right with reading, but it must be my fault. And it began to be something really heavy on me that that there was this problem. And um, anyway, they sat us down and they just said, look, your son's probably never going to read. And it's really probably not a whole lot that you can do about that. And I remember someone saying to me, you know, like, um, it's up to you as the mother how this child turns out. And um, I felt this like this huge weight and they said, you know, these are the type of kids that, that um, have drug and alcohol problems. They're the type of kids that get into trouble with the law. Wow. And these are the type of kids that, you know, a huge percentage of these kids are in jail by the time they're 20. 
Well, I cried for three days. Mm. And I remember waking up and I thought, well, I actually don't give a stuff if you never read, but you'll not be in jail when you're 20. Yeah. And so I looked at alternate things and, and I made the decision to homeschool our kids. And um, I thought, well, I have five kids, so I'm going to be a mother pretty much full time for a long while. So we made the decision to homeschool the five of them. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like quite a challenge there. It was. I actually went on. I thought, oh, if we can survive a year, that'll be a miracle. Mm. And actually went on to do it for 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. And then you also became the pastors of yeah. your current church. Yeah. So my parents had started the church in 86 and I think it was 97 or so that, that we took, actually 98 because this year it's 20 years. Wow. So, um, yeah, so 98, um, it was, I felt like God was healing me and healing my heart. We also had our own printing business at that stage oh, of our really? life. So, um, I was homeschooling. I was doing the book work for my husband. I was the I was the debt collector. He was the good guy, and I was the bad guy oh. chasing the money. He'd do the sales, so we were involved with that. You know, the kids would help out with collating and all sorts of things like that. Then we'll take a day off and go to Dreamworld or um, SeaWorld or something like that. So we we kind of just began working our lives together, and and I i was a very very conscientious so you know like it was like oh i've got a homeschool to run the business uh oh we've just taken over my parents church and everything just kept adding on and i didn't realize that there's actually a limit to what you can do like every mm. party event both sides of our family it was at our house and, uh. and i didn't ever think that there was a limit but i felt my, myself struggling more and more and more to to get everything done Mm. There should have been a sign, but you just don't realize that there is a point that you just can't keep pushing. Yeah. And so the very darkest moment of my life actually occurred. And it was in that season that I ended up having a total and full physical and emotional breakdown. I wasn't down and depressed. I was manic. It was really weird, actually, because it was like... It was like I was hearing from God, but then somewhere it crossed the line to where it was no more God and and things were really messy and I'd gone way off track and I fully don't understand how that particularly happened, but I ended up in this place. And so my husband took me to mental health. We tried all kinds of things. You know, they mm. gave me medication. It didn't even knock me out. They said she'll be out for three days and, you know, an hour and I was awake again. So when had, did you realize this? Um, I, I actually, I don't remember a lot of that, which is absolutely fabulous for me, but it mm. wasn't great for my husband and it wasn't great for um, my siblings who were there because I was so manic that you actually don't remember or recall anything. I was The doctor said that I was as sick as you could possibly be. They actually thought I'd done it through drug and alcohol abuse because they said that's the only way you can get so high. I've never touched alcohol a cigarette, any kinds of drugs in my life, mm. and yet I'd got to that place. And the box that I fitted in was that I was a drug and alcohol abuser. Yeah, so they said to my husband they didn't think that they could get me back. They wow. said that I was so far gone that they would probably never be able to get me back. Mm. And so I was drugged and medicated with the most extreme of drugs and everything they gave me everything to try and slow me down and and it got really horrible i was so blessed my husband just stopped work and he sat with me from early in the morning till late at night every day and and my children were all with their aunties and uncles and and they were all looked after i do think that the experience had a devastating effect on our family mm. but god's been faithful to us through the years but in in that experience in the logan psych ward i had what i call life-defining moments mm. i remember i remember i got every side effect you know like i drooled and i couldn't see and i barely could walk just shuffling along as they tried to slow me down and and i remember a nurse giving me tablets to swallow and i and i my actual tongue had swelled up so you know like i couldn't swallow properly and you know like I was just kind of drooling and and I tried to swallow the pills and 
I tried to swallow and I couldn't swallow because my tongue was so swollen and the pills and the water ran down the front of me and I remember that nurse looking at me in absolute disgust and disdain and I learnt what it feels like to have people look at you that you're not worth anything or that you disgust them wow. and I learnt what that that was burnt into the very into my being I I know what it feels like to have people look at you in disgust and disgrace and then there was one other night that I, I mean I kept going to the bathroom and and the doctor said you don't need to I got up in the night they said you don't need to go to the bathroom it's the middle of the night you don't need to go to the bathroom and I'm like I just want to pee yeah I just want to pee let me be and they said no you don't need to go it's a, and they kept telling my husband that I had a mental fixation that I needed to go to the bathroom. Uh, anyway, I ended up what I called the padded cell right next to the nursing station, vinyl up the walls and across the floor. And it's just a, a bed in the middle with a vinyl covered mattress. And they put me in there in the dark and shut the door. And I'm like looking through the Venetian blinds going, get me security, get me security. I just want to pee. And they brought me security, but the security wasn't to help me. They, four nurses stuck a needle in my butt and, and then they threw a bedpan in on the floor in the dark and I tried to use the bedpan on the floor. But again, I know what it feels like to just feel humiliated and, and disgusted. And, and then the nurses said they never did it. But for that one moment, I woke up and I knew. I said, God, I'm so scared. I'm so alone. I'm so cold. I felt like it was in a prison that I had to please these people so that I could get out of this terrible and horrifying experience but I finally went to sleep and I woke up and I'd wet the bed again just humiliating and degraded mm. and yeah you know and in that moment see I was the person that you would step over and you might not darling <laughs> but I was the person that you would step over I was the person that you would look away from I was that person and I know what that feels like my husband caused all kinds of drama for the nursing staff in that chapter in my life. And it actually turned out that I had a really, really bad urinary tract infection. And that's why I was wanting to go to the bathroom all the time. And they said the level of infection, they, uh, with this, the infection was so bad, they thought I could have permanent damage done to my kidneys. But wow. thank God for his goodness that, that you know, that, that wasn't my experience. You know, it was, I think, three or four courses of antibiotics to finally get on top of it. But I was to remain on lithium and Lagactyl for the rest of my life. So they were challenging days and you know God was so good to me actually because within six weeks I had my five kids home and I was back homeschooling which is just amazing because they said I would probably never ever be able to do that again. So six weeks from this first from becoming yeah, a parent. It, it ended up being 10 days in the psych ward and then I I came out and within six weeks had all of our kids back and I was homeschooling again. So Amazing. God was incredibly gracious to us. And and it was only a couple of weeks after, um, lucky we got a GP that didn't actually know what she was talking about, but I started getting really, really itchy. And, and the GP said, oh, well, you're obviously allergic to the medication. You should come off, come off it. Oh. Which... I did, and I never looked back, which was kind of amazing, really. It really, really was amazing. So you went off of lithium? I went off lithium. I wow. went off everything because she told me I was probably allergic to it. Mm. Well, then it was six weeks later when the hospital started calling and saying, um, you know, you better come in for a checkup, better come in for a checkup. And then finally we went back and, you know, I thought they'd be happy with me because I was homeschooling all of my kids and everything was back to normal. And and um, they weren't. <laughs> they said, you can't get over this like this. You know, you better be back on that medication or you'll be back in here within a month and, and you'll be back in here. You know, and, and so, like, I had these milestones, mm. you know, will I make a month? And, and I remember just being so vulnerable when they kept saying, you know, you've got to get back on it, you've got to get back on it. And then I sort of went a bit like, oh my gosh, I'm actually insane. I feel like I'm okay, but I'm actually actually crazy because they were telling me I was crazy. Mm. And then I started freaking out and even my husband's like, well, Debbie, maybe you do need the medication. And, and we went back home and my mum was there and 
And she grabbed me by the shoulders and she said, Debbie, stop it, you're fine. And I was. I was totally fine and that was yeah. the end of it. And, you know, I made the month and I made the three months and I made the six months and I made the 12 months and I mm. made the two years, which was the big deal if you can make two years. And I've never, ever looked back. But that experience was to change my life forever. Although you were better, I'm guessing there was some journey of healing that needed to occur. For me, the deal was that God had allowed that in my life. It was, can I trust God actually? Because if I trust God, God allows that. And I was like angry at God. You were? Yeah, I was angry, angry, Mm -hmm. angry at God. I know a lot of nice people don't get angry at God, but I did. Mm -hmm. And I was angry. My husband's like, we've just started pastoring. And I was like so angry at God. I'd be yelling at God. I've given my life to following you and you Mm -hmm. let this happen. I felt totally betrayed by God. I felt totally let down by God. Yeah. And you had just taken on like being lead pastor of the church. Yeah. Yeah, luckily, mm. actually, my parents came back and, and stayed with us for another two or three years. Well, actually, they've stayed with us long term again now, which is fabulous. But I was angry that, that you know, like, I remember taking communion at home and my mother found me and she said, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm saying sorry to God for whatever it was that I did to deserve this. Because, you know, like, I couldn't understand. I felt like my whole Christian testimony had just being washed away. He was a girl that had lived for God every day of her life. And I thought there was strength in that for the people around me. Mm. But then I felt like I'd lost every part of my Christian testimony that I possibly had. I often look back now and I think, you know, as parents, we take our children for a vaccine or for a needle to be immunized and we put them in the hands of a stranger. And then we stand there and watch while the stranger hurts our child and the little child looks at us like we just so betrayed them Mm. and they cry and they cry why would you but we know that it's something for their good Mm. and all I can say is I don't think that God did that to me for one minute now but but he allowed the enemy to take me to that place and what God has done out of that experience in my life 20 years later is just breathtaking. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Would you say that you would change it if you could or you wouldn't? I would not change it. Wow. 20 years on, I would not change a minute of it mm. because of the things that God has done. It's mm. absolutely breathtaking some of the things i stand in awe of the opportunities getting to speak with you today is just such an honor and incredibly humbling but um i just think you know the things that god's done out of that experience in my life is just amazing wow and so you had that private journey of healing but i guess as a pastor you're kind of sort of a public figure yeah well like well for I shouldn't say lucky or fortunate for us. <laughs> Our church was only small, mm. so that that was kind of good, you know. Yeah. Like I actually had the meltdown in front of the whole church, which was terrible. So wow. like I was speaking at the front of the church, mm. and lucky there was like forty people there, something like that. But people were leaving and yelling at me about the stuff I was saying, and my husband was trying to sit me down, and I wouldn't be sat down. He couldn't control me. It was it was wow. just so yeah. It was a very public. But then everyone realized that it wasn't me as normal, you know. So, mm. yeah, so, yeah, support came in and, and around. And um, the, the crazy thing was that we'd kind of been in a nice part of town. And one thing led to another. And Ron and I actually were going to give up pastoring. And we were connecting with another pastor that was on the Gold Coast. And, and so we kind of moved to a suburb that was kind of in between the two places well you know we initiated that change and so were you looking to retire from pastoring because of what you'd been through i think so it was so Mm -hmm. hard it was a such a difficult difficult season it was difficult for us but it was difficult for everyone that was with us you know and it was good family and people that had been together for a lot of years so it was very hard for everyone and we just sort of thought oh 
it's, you know, it's too tough. Mm-hmm. And so we decided that we'd connect with somebody else. And so we ended up in the suburb on the very southern edge of our city, Logan, and it was called Eagleby. And Eagleby was just wild 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was like full of drugs. Okay. Full of broken people. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my gosh, it was an awakening <laughs> for me. Yeah. <laughs> so... So we, you know, we'd have church and we'd finish and we'd lay on the floor and go, did you see that? Did you hear that? You know, and, and people would dump their kids on us and go to the pub. And so like my husband would be speaking and, and you know, we'd be sit, doing music together and we'd be trying to catch these wild kids that were running amok everywhere. And, you know, we, we got to love the broken. And you see what God had done in me was I realized that my life is so different to most of those people's life, but I know to the core of my being, you know, like that I'm no different from any of them. If I'd lived their lives, would I have made the same decision? I believe I would have. We can all say, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, but I know that there but for the grace of God mm. go I. And if I'd lived their life, would I make We can, oh, I'd never do that. But if we'd lived that person's life, we would. If we grew up in that home, we would make the same decisions. Yeah. And so we gave the next 12 years to just loving the broken. And we were in... Um, drug houses i didn't even know what a bong was when i went to eagleby <laughs> and now then i could tell you where the pot house was where the heroin house was i knew where everything was you know wow. and i bought my first i remember buying my first cigarettes at 43 because i thought well i'm better to give out cigarettes and take the pot and give them cigarettes it seemed like a good idea to me i'm not sure if it was or not but <laughs> So I was like, I'll hand out the cigarettes, but, you know, give me the pot, you know. (laughs) But we just loved broken people. Like some of the stories of the people, oh, that we loved and we ministered to, loved unconditionally, that we brought into our home. I remember we brought a guy into our home. We'd never met him and he was straight out of prison. Mm -hmm. And we were pretty freaked out. So, like, our bedrooms were downstairs and our living was upstairs. So I remember we put the drum kit all the way down the stairs because this guy was living in our upstairs. And I'm like, if he gets up in the middle of the night and he tries to come down, he'll trip over the drums and at least wake us up. Wow. (laughs) So we could protect our kids. Yeah. And it turned out he was doing pot in our house, can you believe? So anyway, you know, like our hearts were in the right place, but we didn't always make the right decisions. Sure. You know, yeah. I remember we hired um, units in Eagle Bay because we thought we'd fix homelessness. And so we put our paint sniffers and some of our addicts in there. We would have spent the next two years in the pub every Thursday trying to get the rent money. Mm. <laughs> and I remember the, the paint sniffers painted the carpet and oh my gosh you know like it was crazy (laughs) but we just loved people yeah you know oh just loving people we were in the prisons and in the courts and oh a sexual abuse that would just curl your hair you know like horrifying horrifying stuff but for the privilege of just loving oh it's wonderful You're listening to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode 42, with Debbie Hill. And you can listen to other episodes in this series on SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts, like episode 35 with Jyoti Singh. You know, we were talking about spirituality earlier. I guess I had always had this understanding that God existed, but then before we left Fiji, my mum and I both went through different experiences, separate experiences which started really highlighting the the question, well, which God is real? Like, which God is a God of hope? The quest started with the question, where does hope come from? Where can we get hope? Because with my dad being an alcoholic and with his home environment being what it was, what is there to hope for was the question. And so while I was doing teacher training in college, I had some experiences which made me kind of start looking at maybe there was something about this Jesus character that rung true. That was an excerpt from my conversation with Jyoti Singh in episode 35 of the podcast. And now back to this conversation with Pastor Debbie Hill. We used to put on a free lunch after church and um, 
we'd have a whole heap of people from the hostel come mentally ill, disabled, all kinds of people. And they would looked after disgustingly. Actually, I worked for a couple of years to get the place closed down. But they'd all come in because we'd do a free lunch after church and I'd just mm. love them all. And um, after a period of time, someone said to us, look, um, we want to start a hostel in your church's name. And we were so excited because we'd have say in how these people were cared for. Anyway, the lady said, God told me. So we said, okay. So we got two people out of the squalor that they were living in. I was just horrified when I walked into their house. Mm. There was no sheets on the bed. The, the mattress was black. Um, their clothes were just disgusting. It was just rubbish, like nearly waist high in the house. and. Mm. And we just took these two people out. They had head lice and body lice. We took them out of the house. We put them in a brand new unit and um, bought them all new furniture and all new clothes. And we just began to love them. And so this lady was looking after them. Well, it was only six weeks when she decided that God had told her to move to Tasmania. Mm -hmm. So Ron and I are looking all through our church. Oh, my Lord, where's the person that's going to take this over? And then we were horrified because there was actually nobody and... I guess we're it. <laughs> wow. And so we began to shower this, this couple. And we did it for three and a half years every day. We showered them and took them shopping. I actually had a, a psychologist congratulate us on our high standard of care. But we didn't have any training. We just mm. loved them like we were family. And we took them in the car with us and, yeah. and just loved them. And the power of love to transform people's lives is mm. it's amazing. And so I'd never showered anyone. I didn't know how to do that or yeah, anything. Confronting. So it, was, it was very confronting and very scary. And I can mm. tell some stories which I won't be so dodgy today. <laughs> but yeah, off air I'll tell you some stories. But anyway, so I remember though this day that I was down on my hands and knees. I didn't know how to shower somebody. And I had my head in the shower and the water was dripping off my head. Mm. And I was shaving this lady's leg. She's actually 60, but she's about an eight-year-old now and um so ron and she calls us mum and dad even though we're younger than her mm. but um but I, I was shaving her legs and i just felt this most intense presence of god probably the strongest presence of god that i've ever experienced in my life i'm down there on my hands and knees water dripping through my hair shaving her legs and i felt the holy spirit say just as you've done it for these as you've done it for the least of these, you've done it for me. And I went home to my husband just overwhelmed and I said, I got to shave Jesus' legs today. <laughs> wow. I got to shave the legs of Jesus. Mm. I'm the most privileged, blessed woman in the world. Mm. <laughs> That's so incredible. That What an honour. Yeah. What an honour. And so Glenna still, you know, so I guess it's probably been like 12 years and she's, in a, she's actually in an old age facility now mm -hmm. but um you know we just took her on a cruise with us you know just a few months back and and she's still our baby so actually it worked quite well for me because Glennis even though she was you know in her mid-50s when we first took over her care she loved dolls so mm. you know me I'm kind of kind of a desperate woman you know so <laughs> she loved dolls so She'd bring her pram with all of these dolls into church every Sunday and we'd have to pack all the dolls into the car who were her babies and we'd have to pack the pram and drive it all back to her house and and we had she had this doll we were we bought her a baby born and, mm -hmm. and you know so I made all the clothes and I made the little bassinet and the blankets and you know it's kind of sick and twisted it was at least I had a daughter <laughs> you know wow. I remember my mum goes you got the daughter you always wanted I was like well I'm not sure if she was the one I always wanted but at least it's one yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. She's just like a little girl, actually. She's yeah. quite cute. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Like, um, that I guess this kind of unglamorous side of loving people and caring for people that you've really found a lot of purpose and yeah. joy in that. Yeah. We've taken, I've taken knits out of n numerous drug addicts' hair and wow. yeah, just, just loved people. And my husband has cut men's hair and, mm -hmm. you know, we've just been with the most broken of people and loving them. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I wish that I could say, you know, we really transformed a bunch of people's lives, but it breaks my heart that, all the love we've given sometimes has not been enough, but we just, you know, you always trust that 
wherever these people end up, that by God's grace they remember the unconditional love that they sense from us and mm. that they reach out to God in that moment. Mm. I actually had someone just call in, you know, we've got quite a large charity now, and this lady called in, she said, Debbie, do you remember me? And I said, no, and she said, you took me out for a, a picnic, and and she was 10 years ago, and she said, I never got to tell you, but she said, oh, I actually, from that day, it transformed my life, and I lived in Coolangatta, and she said, I went to a, a C3 church in Coolangatta because of the love that was shown. Wow. And then she said, and my daughter connected with God, and now she's a mum, it was this 10 years ago, she's a mum with a couple of children, and she's going to City Point Church in, in Brisbane. So we don't know the impact Mm. It'll guess it'll be eternity that you know all of the love that we continue to show it might be eternity before sometimes you see the harvest of what's been achieved because of your love and your work. And so how do you continue on when you don't always see the fruit or you don't always see good fruit and you're obviously doing things differently not to burn out again if you'd mm, call it yeah, that. Yeah. And what kind of motivates you in your work? Is what element of your faith or, or of whatever keeps you going? It is hard but there's nowhere else to go but Jesus. Is there? There's nowhere else to go but him. There's nothing else that can ever fill that place. And I wish I was sitting here saying, you know, we've seen lives of thousands of people's transformed. But we can't stop loving. As hard and as difficult as it is, we must keep loving. We have to be his hands and we have to be his feet. And you know, I I'm I'm grateful for the for the changes that we have seen and um, we're seeing more and more change and more and more fruit coming from our hard years mm. you know so you know we're living in a bit of a different space now which mm. is which is wonderful so what yeah. does this season look like I guess I should just fill back in the story mm. so like in Eagleby we were donated some bread mm. so we actually just started giving bread out of a van our, our boys have just been spectacular, can I say that? And I often, I look back now and I go, I understand why I didn't end up with five girls. You know, they'd be, they'd be beautiful. They'd be doing their hair and makeup and they'd be spectacular. But the boys were just perfect for the destiny that God had for our lives. And, mm. and so it's now, you know, coming up to 14 years ago, on a Friday night our boys would all be with us and we'd pack up food hampers that we would take into the community on a Saturday. We didn't have a great plan. We didn't have a business plan. We didn't have anything like that. We were just like, if we can bring hope to a couple of families in this broken suburb, Mm. that'll be awesome. So that was our goal. It wasn't grand and lofty. And so we would just take bread. And Eagleby was the place. You, You could just kind of wind down the window on the van and say hey love are you doing okay can you would you like some bread Mm -hmm. well I'm doing okay but go see that lady over there and we found a practical way to go into homes and just bring hope and we'd build on that and we'd build on that and I guess within three months we couldn't keep up so Mm. we ended up in a house with a double garage and and people would come to us and there would be like 30 and 40 families that would come to us for help which was just wonderful you know I'd hug them I'd throw my arms around them and love them wherever they're at I just found because I knew judgment you know I mean we'd, yeah all of a sudden the ha- we ended up in a house and then that obviously that came to an end because the lease ran out on that house and and so it was almost like the death of a vision I was heartbroken because mm. there was nowhere else to go we couldn't find anywhere else and so a media person actually came and said I want to do a front page story on your work and so they put it on the front page of a paper and we were called by PCYC mm-hmm. uh, and they said look in Beanley they said um, you know we'll give you a double or well, it was actually like a four-car garage and we'll get you a cold room and if you come work with us and so we worked with the police and I remember saying well God how will they know we're the church if we're working for the police and uh, it was crazy because, you know, that first week we were so excited, 20 families came through the door. And within three and a half years of working with PCYC, that grew to 300 families. And so people were just coming and coming for, for food. And it was amazing. It was a lovely way to meet people. And we had no money behind us, no money. And um, 
a small church we met in a community center in this place anyway it was a series of miracles i haven't got all day because i could go on i swear to god i aged 10 years in a year but we bought a building you know Mm -hmm. a million and a half dollar building and we began to operate what is now lighthouse care out of that and if i skip forward to today I can say that this year our food touched the lives of half a million people. Wow. So in 13 years, we've gone for goals of hoping to help two or three families to 13 years later, our food touching half a million people. So with Lighthouse Care, is there any particular kind of events or initiatives you do that are really special to you? Well, I love Mother's Day, always, always, always. Mother's Day is one of my favorites. And so at Mother's Day, we we bring all the women in um, that we meet through the charity. We'll have 150, I think we had last year. And um, they're often met at the door and they walk down the red carpet, given a, given a rose and walk down the red carpet. And then our boys will seat them and in their suits. And, um, and then we spoil them. I often share my life story and offer hope, you know, that Jesus can do for anyone what he's done for me. And um, so I offer hope and, and we spoil them and love them. So that's always one of my favorites. But my most most favorite is our Christmas and so I had a guy give me some money a lot of years ago actually nearly 10 years ago and said that he wanted to do something it was a business person in our city and and I made it so spectacular because I thought oh I'll keep him giving (laughs) and uh, so we had so much fun and and um, and we did the very best we could and actually he actually stopped funding it and so it was spectacular just every year to see how god would financially make it all happen you know mm-hmm. so um so people are bought into a five-star lunch, dinner you know so the tables are set beautifully and they're all waited on and people that never experience anything like this and so you know all of their gifts you know i'm a little bit crazy about those kinds of things but you know my my gifts are always color coordinated with the little bauble and the little mm. little bit of tinsel on the top and you know everything really special they've always got their big place card with their name on it on the table and beautiful. it's just such a beautiful beautiful event and we just spoil mm. them and love them and show them another side of life that they can experience and i remember um I remember a lady saying to me, she came back to me during the year and she said, I went to that event and she said, I was ready to take my life. But she said, that night transformed my life. Isn't that spectacular? It's incredible. It's so incredible. Mm. And you know, like my story is that if we're faithful and the little God keeps giving me more. Yeah. And so we gave and we gave and we gave. And then three years ago, I met this amazing businesswoman And she said, Debbie, I've been trying to help families and we can't kind of find enough families to help. And I said, well, how many kids do you want? And she said, I want 100 kids. And I pulled it off in a week. So I found 100 children for her. And so what she she did was give me a letter and it's to Dear Santa. And the child gets to choose something I want, something I need, something to wear and something to read. So the child gets to choose what they want. And then she emails it to all of her wealthy friends and people go out and shop for that child. Now it's around about the $150 mark that they're supposed to spend, but some of them spend hundreds. Like there's amazing bikes and scooters and everything that goes with it. I remember a guy saying to me, oh Debbie, oh my kid wanted running shoes and I've gone out and bought bought these nights, you know, they were 150, but they're fully sick. And I'm like, yay, you know, so the gifts are spectacular. So Mm. we're working with organizations. I'm trying to build our city together. And so we we work with all kinds of different organizations across our city. So one is our special school and uh, we work a lot with domestic violence. And so people, women out of shelters that their little kids get to choose what they want. And and they, they bought all these gifts. Well, this year um, we, we did 215 kits. And so we bring them into the spectacular um, dinner. And then, you know, we had Superman and Batman and um, we had Tinkerbell this year. And then we had the frozen princess that sings and, and um, Olaf. The, you know, everybody's there. And even the Broncos <laughs> mascot came and, uh-huh. and, and danced and sang for the kids. And, mm. you know, it's just such a beautiful... But, like, if we're faithful and giving the little... God just gives us bigger and bigger seed. Mm. And she's talking about how many we're going to do next year. I'm like, whoa, you know. And so, like, it's just spectacular mm, as we so just good. give the little, you know... 
as we just give the little, he multiplies. Mm. It's, it's incredible. Following Jesus is wonderful. And another ex, um, exciting part of that event is that we've incorporated all of our city leaders. So we'll have our federal leaders and our mm-hmm. our state leaders. We've got our state ministers, actually, and um, our city councillors and our mayor and all of these types of people. They come in and wait on the tables. Oh, And really? it's absolutely spectacular. They have as much fun as the kids do. Mm. And I kind of think that that's because giving is the commodity of heaven. And for a moment... They connect with heaven as they serve and love the most broken. Mm. And, um, yeah, they have as much fun as we do. And it's it's just amazing how, you know, how God opens doors for us mm. in all levels of government and, and people are attracted. And Isaiah 60, it says, Arise and shine for thy light has come. And kings will come to the brightness of your rising. And as we get to love, people are drawn, you know, and we, we, we get to operate or we get to... Um, love and affect leaders in government as we love them and and support them as well which Mm. i think is spectacular so it's all levels of society need love one of the other things i love is we work with charities similar to ours uh all over queensland and and northern new south wales our food has come to sydney and gone into victoria but we're empowering the body of christ to step out into their local communities Mm. which is awesome and just to love people where they're at. And it's such a practical way to be able to bring hope mm. to people. Yeah. So you're kind of giving, re-equipping other churches with resource to care. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. We're in Logan City and um, it's quite an amazing place to be. It's a city of 300,000 people. So we're connected with the Gold Coast and we're connected with Brisbane City. Uh, people will drive an hour north of us to from an hour south of us they'll drive from the lockyer valley an hour away so people drive from all over the region into lighthouse and in lighthouse logan home there are forty thousand families that are members which is just crazy yeah i think you were going to ask me about what was my favorite scripture and i and i know it's from heidi baker but there's a wonderful story in the bible of a time when there were just thousands of people that needed to be fed. And Jesus said, well, he looked at the disciples and said, have you got the food? And the disciples were like, wow, how can we feed? We haven't got enough money to go out and and feed all these people. But Jesus was showing them something amazing that he will just take the very little thing, the tiniest thing that you and I have, but he took the tiniest thing. And it was a little boy's lunch. And the little boy, he had five little bread rolls or five little loaves and he had two fishes and as that, that those that bread and fishes was given to the disciples and as the disciples or the followers of Jesus took that bread and actually multiplied at their hands as they began to give it out it wasn't like all of a sudden hey, here's enough food for five thousand let's give it out but if we take the very little thing and start giving out the tiny little bit that we have, all of a sudden, it actually explodes and can and feed heaps and heaps of people. And that's what Jesus did. Out of that one little boy's lunch, he fed 5,000 people. And then the crazy thing about it was that it wasn't just enough because God's more than just enough. He's always more than just enough. And at the end, there was 12 baskets full left over. And that's what following God is like. It's not just enough to get through, but he blesses us abundantly and over the top in every which way. And it's absolutely amazing. I remember we had a drum kit and we had a keyboard and I'm like to my husband, please, we have to get a red carpet. And he's like, a red carpet? Because we would do spectacular events for the community Mm. and we'd welcome them down the red carpet. Mm. And that red carpet has had thousands of people walk down Mm. to experience the lavish love of a God in a practical, tangible way. So it's actually so amazing as I look Mm. back. Yeah, so 40,000 families are members of Lighthouse. And so we do a shopping trolley that we've put together, a shopping trolley of food. It it includes what we call our pantry pack, which is staples like rice and pasta and canned goods and maybe some drinks and some crackers and whatever things you might find in your pantry. Then we have a fruit and veggie box 
And then we have what we call our cold pack and there's bread and milk and drinks and whatever we can put together is made available for $25. And I'm always thinking, you know, we're representing Jesus. So we have to be over the top. Mm. in everything we do because that's just who he is i like that you know we just have to be over the top we now have also a, a retail grocery store which pretty much stocks absolutely everything mm. and uh we're up to 70 percent off the retail price so we're providing real tangible practical mm. hope yeah and back to the story of the little boy's lunch you know out of the very little that we have had We've just given the very best that we can out of nothing. Mm. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And Jesus took a little boy's lunch and he fed 5,000 people. And Jesus took an experience that could have wiped out a family with a, a mum and a dad. And as a family, we just began to give. And it's been amazing. Mm. You know, half a million people this year are impacted by the food. So it's amazing what God has done. 40,000 of those grocery trolleys across our region. Mm. And we've had prophetic word that that the very uh, presence of God is going out with those food packages mm. and just bringing hope. I've actually had people that aren't Christians say, it's almost like there's love on that food wow and also you know we've had we've had miracles happen in our car park and i remember a lady one day she's saying my husband's a tradesman and we haven't had any work for six weeks and i filled up all my credit cards and she said um we're in a really desperate place can i please come and buy one of your trolleys and i said sweetheart i'll meet you outside the shop and i said i'll give you one of our trolleys and I got a call to say she was there, so I ran over to see her, and she's standing outside the shop, and she's crying, and I'm saying, sweetheart, what's wrong? I said, you know, you're going through a rough season, but it's not going to last, and mm. we're here to do the journey with you, and you're going to make it, and it's going to be amazing. I promise it's going to be okay, and she goes, it's not any of that. I said, what's wrong? And she says, I feel something coming out of the doors, and I and I said, what is it? And she goes, I don't know, I don't know. And I said, is it love? Yes, that's wow. what it is. I feel love. Mm. Isn't that God's presence? Mm. It's just God's presence mm -hmm. that people just sense. Like people say, oh, we love the vibe in here. Mm. It's just God's presence. You know, if we will just concentrate on loving the next person in front of us, God will do miracles. Mm. And he's multiplied lighthouse care to something that I never imagined would be possible oh, i don't know i think there's a thousand pallets of food stored in there now it's just incredible and you know in that miracle the bible actually says it was 12 baskets full and we bought that building and we've been able to pay it off it makes no sense it's paid off and it's incredible you know we've bought another building and we're getting ready to to look in a new direction because we're out of space and so half of lighthouse family church is shoppers people who have never been connected with church it's raw and it's rugged and it's real and i love it that way you know it's just fair dinkum real however you are you know sometimes the language might be crash hot but <laughs> yay it's real yeah <laughs> yeah so and good. so you know we've seen miracles happen in our car park just mm. you know jesus is so desperate to connect with people if we'll love them and open our hearts he just wants to connect with people and mm. and so it's just wonderful i've seen so many physical healings and then people that come and give their lives to the lord and yes i'd love it to be thousands of people but i believe it's growing more and more and more all the time you know so i think that's part of our journey our church is now around about 150 people but there's no way on this earth that those 150 people could create something like Lighthouse. Mm. So it has to be God's favor and it has to be God's goodness right. as we just love people. So it's pretty spectacular. I've had a lot of opportunities in media and, and radio and, you know, I've met the highest in the land. My husband was just a finalist and citizen of the year yesterday mm. in our city and Lighthouse Care was a runner-up in um organization of the year for queensland just before christmas and you know we had a channel nine story that's had way over a million views and it's amazing what god's done mm. you know and i always think of the scripture in isaiah and it says arise and shine for thy light has come 
And you know, sometimes we just have to get up and do something. Yeah. And if we're faithful just to do the tiny little thing and not give up. Yes, there's been plenty of times we wanted to walk away, but we didn't give up. And can I just tell you now as a mother, our five sons are all involved in Lighthouse in some way. Our youngest one, Daniel, he's our retail manager. So he makes sure that the shop is stocked perfectly and the prices are all on everything. And mm-hmm. So he's our retail manager. Uh, Joshua is actually here in uh, Sydney and part of the Hillsong team. We miss him terribly, but um, he still does his best to make us look good. He makes our videos for us and he makes our emails that go out to you know, 20,000 people three times a week. And um, so he's very, very much involved still yeah. in, in the vision of Lighthouse. And and then our third son, we have worked for the doll programs because there's 120,000 boxes of food that have to be uh, packed every year. So mm-hmm. we've got work for the doll programs and it's fun to just see even how the presence of God will affect people, unsaved people, just people that haven't met Jesus. Mm how when they come in and they just work with us and they serve that they see it's genuine and it's real and a lot of them get jobs but some that don't will just keep staying with lighthouse because they just love to be part of it yeah so that's fabulous as well so nathan looks after all of that now volunteers and and then um our eldest boy is our operations manager so Mm -hmm. just you know there are trucks coming and going every day you can't get in the car park because there's just crazy (laughs) trucks everywhere yeah so it's amazing i just often stand back and go wow this is incredible yeah god can do out of our darkest moments is just amazing and then the one that i told you about that they said we'll never read and Mm. often likely to be in jail by time he's 20 yeah he's our general manager he buys all of our stock from all over Australia. And I don't normally talk figures, but he uh, turned over $6 million this year in food. Incredible. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. See, God is faithful. God is faithful. As an older lady, if I can encourage anyone, you know, I gave my life to raising my sons and I stand in awe of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. It's worth the hard times. It's worth the struggles. I promise. I promise, promise, promise. Oh, I must say I have two grandsons. Ah. And the third one is on the way. We've just found out that that's another little boy. So it's eight boys in a row for us. (laughs) The girls still are not on the way. But I must say it's just an incredible journey Mm. as we dedicate our lives to the Lord. Mm. And I've I've stepped up and I just be a mum. I think it's so important. I'm just the crazy hugger in the lighthouse car park. <laughs> That's my job. I just hug people and, you know, many times I've gone and pinched the money back out of the till that people have paid because their stories are so sad. And somehow the tills always balance. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but it's wonderful. And it's just who Jesus is. Yeah. He's so amazing and so wonderful and a life dedicated hang on through the hard times Mm. keep hanging on to him because what he can do and what he's done in my life is just i was the one that you would look away from and step over and give no hope to Mm. you know as i said i've met the highest in the land and i've loved the most broken in the land people are amazing people are spectacular i actually am on the the lord meris's trust for our city, you know, doors that open are, are spectacular, and mm. I spend a lot more time out of the church than in these in the church. But I just love people wherever I go, and yeah, and God's so faithful, and I just want to be a lover forever. And you know, I found the crazy love that transforms lives, mm. and I'll give my life to my very last day, loving people because he loves us so incredibly. And the best thing we can ever do is love him back with all of our hearts. And I mean, perhaps you've just done it there, but I I do love to ask people, how would you describe what is kind of at the core of what you believe? I think for me, it's totally radical, crazy love. Yeah. Total crazy love. We're a planet filled with broken, hurting people everybody's been hurt everybody's wounded everybody's broken and it's only jesus that can really 
heal that. I actually came down to my first Hillsong conference and the theme they were talking about next year, there is more. There was a little envelope with seeds that they gave out on the very last day. And I looked down and in mine and I knew it was perfect for me because it said, haven't I always said that I will love you? And Jesus, you have. And it's such a joy to love him back. Yeah, it's such, it's so worth just laying down your life and following him passionately and wholeheartedly because it's a crazy wild adventure. Yeah, and it has been for you. It has been, it certainly has been. (laughs) What are you hoping that the continuation, the future looks like? You know, we're empowering charities that do the same thing. You know, when we started, there was so much competition, and I'm afraid to say even in the church world, there was competition. Mm -hmm. But we said, God, if you bless us, we'll empower others. And so we've given our life to empowering others, and God has blessed that if we stepped out to that. So Lighthouse is actually going to be looking at starting in some more locations around. My heart's cry is for transformed lives. Yeah. The love of Jesus will impact the hearts of people and transform them for his glory. And that's the cry of my heart, that people will find the love of God in the way that I have. That's the desire of my heart, that people will just open their hearts and God will transform the broken because I know what it is to be the most broken of the broken. And he can transform us in amazing ways. And it's only him. It's all about him. And it's totally worth it. The Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast is hosted and produced by Rachel Hogan. If you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, send an email to hello at rachelahogan.com.